0: Springtime is all about fresh air, fresh starts, and freshly clean homes, and it's the perfect time to give a fresh look at Simply Safe home security, the home security system many of the most anxious people I know recommend. Here's why people love it: Trusted by experts, Simply Safe was named best home security system for 2024 by U.S. News and World Report, and Newsweek awarded it best customer service in home security. The system blankets your whole home in protection. It has sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. Plus a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch over your property, day and night. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day, so you get fast emergency response and dispatch when you need it most. Safe has given many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it, too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/coverup. That's simplysafe.com/coverup. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
1: Campsite Media. The bench. This show contains graphic content that may be difficult for some listeners. Please listen with care. Well, so my, let me talk
2: about my relationship with my grandpa, because that is what you asked. So my grandpa and I were very close. Growing up,
1: he always told me, like, don't forget to use your head. This is Shana Cattell. She's 27, but has wide, childlike blue eyes that make her look much younger. I've always been
2: very close with my mother's parents.
1: Shayna was still a teenager when her grandfather died in 2015. He'd been given a terminal cancer diagnosis, six months to live. Shayna says he was her best friend. The day
2: he passed away, um, I had a dream that that was going to be the day he died, essentially. Um, So in my dream, I was at my grandparents' house visiting with them, and my sister and I were leaving. We went outside to get in the car. But my grandpa comes out the door and he told me, I love you, Shayna. This is the last time you'll get to see me. Don't forget to use your head. And the wind like picked up and he blew away like dust in the wind. So I've always kind of been able to hold on to that dream as like that was my last goodbye to my grandpa.
1: Shayna's grandmother chose Sunset Mesa Funeral Home because the cremations there cost way less than the other funeral homes in town. It was like, I believe my grandma said $700 for the cremation and the
2: other two funeral homes were running like 1,500. I mean, my grandpa was a janitor my entire life. My grandma was a cook at a school, so they didn't ever make very much money, so she
1: went with the cheapest option there was. Three years later, word was going around that the owners of Sunset Mesa had been dismembering bodies, selling them to research companies instead of cremating them. Shayna was shocked, angry, She wanted to know if Sunset Mesa had done that to her grandpa, and she wanted to hear it straight from the owner, Megan Hess. I was looking
2: for answers, and I was kind of upset, so my friend took me over there um, to try and talk to her and get some answers. Shana and her friend Mary drove
1: to the funeral home.
2: We had knocked on the door in the back. Nobody answered, um, but I think it might have set off an alarm because, like, five minutes later, she had shown up,
1: Shayna and Mary were already back in their car, ready to leave, when they saw a black Cadillac tear into the driveway. It was Megan. And she just started chasing us down in her car. The women turned onto a dirt back road, foot on the gas, but Megan was right on top of them. I was just driving really fast because this lady is like
2: chasing us in her car. Like, what the fuck is going on? We could see her in the back mirror. She was hitting those bumps and like going airborne. I was just thinking, like, I don't know what's wrong with this lady. Like, she's obviously crazy. I mean, like, she decapitates bodies for a living.
1: And now she's chasing us down. Like, we need to lose her. (laughs) Finally, Shayna thought they had lost Megan. They pulled their minivan over into a small parking lot.
2: All of a sudden she pulled in and she parked sideways, so there was no way for us to get out of
1: there. Shayna's friend Mary got out of the van to try to guide Shayna out of the parking spot. And that's when Megan like started going forward and
2: hit Mary with her car and kind of pinned her in between the two vehicles. And then shortly after is when the police showed up. And they had told us that she was on the phone with them the entire time. And the police kept telling her, stand down, stand down, quit following them.
1: And she just continued to pursue us. When the cops showed up, they saw bruising and red marks on both of Mary's shins. A witness saw it all happen. But Megan denied hitting Mary. On top of that, she wanted the two friends arrested for trespassing. The police ended up letting us go
2: after they spoke to us and we told them, like, you know, we had never entered the property.
1: The police charged Megan with reckless driving and reckless endangerment. By way of explanation, Megan made herself out to be the victim. She told the police she was tired of being pushed around. This car chase through Little Montrose, Colorado, it was a sign of things to come the war between Megan and Montrose had just begun. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, Body Brokers. Episode 7, Montrose vs. Megan. I'm Ashley Fonts. By the summer of 2018, Sunset Mesa Funeral Home had been searched by the FBI and shut down by the state, and the town of Montrose was reeling from the stories about what had gone on inside.
0: Struggling with claims, she created product with a power saw and angry that she ultimately profited from the sale of arms, legs, heads, torsos, even bodies. She
4: said, well, his head was sent so-and-so His two shoulders went somewhere else, and one elbow to the fingertip went somewhere. I said, I don't want to hear anymore. Given the incredibly
1: disturbing claims, people assumed the logical next step would be for Megan and Shirley to be arrested.
5: I think we were all hoping for just that big hurrah moment where it was going to be they've nailed her finally. You know, they've got them. Justice is going to happen now.
1: Mary Lee Friedenthal had worked for Megan Hess for little over a year. She quit in 2015, years before all this happened. But she still was keyed in to the town talk about
5: Sunset Mesa and heard what people were saying. They were hoping to see Megan taken out in cuffs and they wanted to see Shirley taken out in cuffs.
1: But the FBI investigation into the two women was complex and still young and Megan and Shirley were free. With the closure of their funeral parlor, they had turned to side hustles to make ends meet. They started selling homemade crafts on Etsy, like little snowman figurines. Megan still had a floral business and an event space, but I'm told those were mostly at a standstill. People didn't want to do business with them anymore. Maybe another person in these circumstances would retreat, keep a low profile, but Megan was out and about. People saw her at the grocery store, the hardware store, Target. Some saw these appearances
4: around town as an act of defiance. When more and more came out, it just, it blew my mind. Like, she was still out in the community, just living her life, driving around. You would always see her Cadillac out. Yeah, All just time. driving around.
1: These are two sisters who live in Montrose, Tanda Cat and Kirsty Trujillo. For years, they considered Megan a close family friend. But after learning what Megan had been accused of, seeing her around town like everything was normal, that was weird. Tanda saw Megan at local football games.
4: Like, and she would go sit in the stands and just act like nothing was wrong when the whole community didn't want her there and there were some people that told her to leave and she she would just ignore her. I mean, every time I'd see her on about, I would purposely go the other way just to
3: avoid her. I remember always seeing her at Target, just go the other way. I'm in your face, I'm still here, I'm walking around and there's nothing you can do about it. That's the way I feel about it when I would see her, is like, I'm here, I'm still in the community, no matter what I've done. Kirstie just
1: couldn't bring herself to do battle with Megan, But others in town didn't hold back.
5: There was a lot of hate. I mean, there was a lot of hate. And there was a lot of anger um, and a lot of resentment and just a lot of ugliness that was going on. It didn't matter where she went, even where her daughter went, where her parents went. I mean, everybody was like, I hope you get served justice. You guys belong behind bars. People would yell and scream and, and throw things at them.
1: Did you ever bump into her,
5: Mary Lee? I did not. I avoided her.
1: There was one event where Megan's presence sparked major controversy. It happened that summer after the allegations came out. The Montrose County Fair and Rodeo was held in July, as usual, at the county fairgrounds on the north side of town. The fair draws hundreds from around the county who've been waiting all year for the wild game cook-off, the swine contest, the fiddler competition it's the place to be seen. It's fun and exciting. But the presence of one person inside this hall has certainly put a damper on the mood for some people. In the indoor area called Friendship Hall, Megan set up a booth selling rustic home decorations.
5: For her to be able to see us and look in our eyes and smile at us, is fake as it is, is pathetic.
1: That's the voice of Zach McCarthy, who learned his father, David, had been dismembered and sold. His family had lived in Montrose for over a decade, and they were now thinking of moving away because of what had happened. The reporter asked the fair's board president what she thought about Megan being there. Well, to my
0: knowledge, she has not been convicted of anything yet.
1: Megan's young daughter was also there, running a little hot dog stand. You could get a dog, chips, and a drink for six bucks.
5: And that became, of course, well, gee, what do you guys have in those hot dogs? Are we supposed to eat those? Is there ground body parts in that? What what body parts are in there? You know, all of those kind of things.
1: Later that evening, anger boiled over. A little before 9, the Montrose police got a phone call. It was Megan. She said a man had been hitting and kicking her car. By the time an officer arrived, though... The man had sped away on a motorcycle. Lots of people were angry, heartbroken, traumatized. And for people who thought they were close to Megan, it was especially
4: painful. It took me a long time to begin to come to grips with this. Charlotte Downing was going through a
1: unique struggle. She'd once worked for Megan, She'd encouraged people to sign up for body donation, not realizing it was a conduit into Megan's body brokering business. On top of that, Charlotte thought Megan was her friend. Now she was supposed to deal with what the FBI had told her. Megan and Shirley had dismembered and sold Charlotte's own father. Charlotte is a devout Christian, but her belief in heaven didn't
4: give her the comfort she expected. If I have that belief set, why am I suffering so? Why is this so hard for me? Why am I either crying or want to choke her? I could not seem to fit all of that together. Charlotte had a long
1: history in Montrose. Her family had been there going back decades. But finding comfort in the community didn't
4: feel like an option. If I stepped up and said, oh, yeah, I'm a victim and I used to work there really? Were you part of this? Did you know what was going on? Did you help? That would be the first thing that went through my mind. I didn't want them to look at me and say, how could you have done that? Well, I didn't know. How could I have missed all of the signs that were probably there? Yeah, I caught on that she was lying. That's kind of a far distance from cutting up bodies.
1: It's hard for Charlotte to turn her back on people. That's not her nature. But this was different.
4: I never wanted to talk to her. I did not want to see her. I did not want to talk to her. I did not want to talk to her mother. I didn't want to talk to her father. Get out of my life. And that might have been possible if Montrose wasn't such
1: a small town. And if Charlotte's grandson hadn't attended the same school as Megan's daughter.
4: We saw her at every spring program, at every outing. There was a holiday farm type thing that you could go to for pumpkins and they had rides and all kinds of things. And oh, guess who's there every time is Megan and her mother. My husband is a very stable man. He knows me very well. And he said, don't engage her, do not talk to her. And that's really how I dealt with most of it was just let's ignore her. Let's play like I didn't see her, let's avoid her at all costs and be done with it.
1: When it came time for the school Christmas pageant, Charlotte and her husband Glenn arrived early, hoping for a spot in the front row. But then Charlotte spotted a tall figure, a woman with unmistakably big hair. When I saw her, there was a lot of anger there. Charlotte tried to concentrate on her grandson during the performance, Afterward, they were mingling with other parents over Christmas cookies and refreshments.
4: And Shirley came up and she said, Hello, Sharla. And I turned away. I'm not convinced that was the most polite or the most Christian like thing to do, but it's what I did. Not one of my finer moments. Hearing Sharla say
1: that kind of stuns me. Even after everything Megan and Shirley had done, Charlotte still felt she had to act Montrose nice to them. But I think this is also about a new kind of power that Megan and Shirley seemed to have. People weren't just intimidated by them anymore. Now, they were truly afraid. If they had dismembered bodies, what else were they capable of?
0: From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? (laughs) No.
1: I try to imagine what this time period was like from Megan's perspective. Her world had changed dramatically in the span of just a few months. She was no longer the single working mother running a successful local business. The community that had once adored her now knew she was under federal investigation. And now civil suits had been filed by hundreds of former clients accusing her of fraud. Publicly, Megan
5: maintained that she'd done nothing wrong. At that time, Megan was still denying that anything she had done was illegal. You know, she was like, I I took care of your family to the best of my ability. At that point, she was saying it's all a story. It's all made up lies. You can't believe what you read. You can't believe what you see. Um, it'll be the truth that will you'll find in the end. And I'm... I'm not the person you're making me out to be. In response to all the hubbub, Megan and her mom drafted
1: a press release calling the claims fake news. Megan said, I want the community to know I am standing strong and will not let anyone interfere with my mission. Without donation, there is no research. And without research, there is no cure. But in private, Megan apparently wrote that she felt sad and weak. A person in town shared screenshots with me. She said they were Facebook messages she'd exchanged with Megan. In the messages, Megan seemed to open up to her, writing, Breaks my heart. I worked so hard for so long. I didn't do anything. A small contingent of people stood by her.
2: When it first came down, I defended her. It was like religious and politics. We don't talk about Megan Hess in the salon.
1: This is Megan's hairdresser, Jody Cena.
2: Well, you know, it's a small town, so everybody, you know, well, what do you think? Well, I'd say, you know what, we don't talk about that because I just didn't believe it. I said, I just don't think there's any way that she would be like that,
1: any way at all. One day, Megan woke up to find that someone had thrown plastic body parts onto her lawn, a leg, a hand, an arm, decorated with fake blood. She scrambled to remove them before her daughter woke up and saw what had happened.
0: In a single word, describe Megan Hess.
1: Body snatcher. Vile. Sociopath. Pure evil. Around town, people called Megan every imaginable insult. A ghoul. A witch. Hacksaw Hess. On Facebook, someone wrote, this bitch
3: needs to rot. They had crucified her before she had even been charged.
1: This is Justine Jacoby, a mom who lives in Montrose. Justine emailed me after she heard I'd been asking around town about Megan and Shirley. She told me how she'd struck up a friendship with Megan at swim and
3: dance lessons for their kids. She's like the only person that ever talked to me in Montrose. Um, Other moms from the dance studio sort of looked at me. They didn't really talk to me. I have my own way of doing things, but Megan didn't seem to care. She was very nice.
1: Justine had moved to Montrose from Michigan and told me that people didn't like her because she wasn't from around there. She got stray looks in town, and now she watched as the town seemed to gang up on Megan. Like, once at an event to build a parade float for their girls' dance studio, Megan and her parents showed up. The other people there weren't happy.
3: They just kind of made weird faces. They tried not to talk to her. They thought they were like gonna catch a plague or something. But they ate the pizza that they bought.
1: Another time, Justine hosted a pool party for her daughter's tenth birthday. She invited Megan and her daughter, and they came. Justine noticed that Megan was sitting at a table by herself. She seemed to be trying to
3: avoid the other parents. So the parents that were there, they pull me aside, they go, Do you know who that is? I said, it's my friend Megan, her kid's here. And if you don't want, well, I don't want my children here. I don't want to be here. So then it's your right to leave, but we're going to have cake and we're going to celebrate my daughter. And I don't think I want you here if you're going to act like this with her here and her daughter, what is wrong with you? And that's when I realized that people were judging her or really cruel to her and I didn't think that was very fair. I think it's notable how, throughout
1: this time, the media emphasized that Megan was a mother. The fact of her being a woman was somehow more shocking, more unique. A local news segment headline read, Woman, Mom, charged with selling body parts. It was hard not to notice that Megan's daughter was also getting swept up in these battles. The girl was elementary school age at the time, Justine really gets
3: emotional when she thinks about it. You know, her kid was with her all the time. All the time. You know, they were always together. They were best friends. So if you were throwing cups of stuff at the car or saying horrible things, you were saying that in front of her daughter. I mean, why? The kid didn't do anything, you know? They threw things. People were proud of it. They posted it on Facebook. That's just wrong but these are the type of people that you have here in Montrose.
1: Unlock all episodes of Cover Up, Body Brokers, ad-free right now by subscribing to the Binge Podcast channel. Not only will you immediately unlock all episodes of this show, but you'll get binge access to an entire network of other great true crime and investigative podcasts, all ad-free. Plus, on the first of every month, subscribers get a binge drop of a brand new series. That's all episodes, all at once. Unlock your listening now by clicking subscribe at the top of the cover-up show page on Apple Podcasts or visit getthebinge.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. There's no doubt people in Montrose were hungry for Megan and her mom to face consequences. It took two years, but the day finally came. It was March 2020, a cold, overcast morning. Four local officers, two marshals, and an FBI agent arrived at Megan's small, brown, split-level house. They told Megan she was under arrest and a marshal clapped handcuffs around her wrists and then knelt down and placed shackles on her ankles. One of the responding officers would later note in his report that Megan was, quote, verbally uncooperative with the marshals. The officers had to call for Shirley to come to the door several times before she finally emerged. They cuffed her, same as Megan, hands and ankles, and then took them in a van to the local jail. Megan's daughter was at home when this happened. She was
3: left with a neighbor. People were woohooing about it. They finally got her. Hooray! I'm like, wow. Finally, she the, the big bad witch is gone. And I went, yikes. She's really a good person. I mean, I I I still believe that. I, you know. But also, I'm the village idiot here in Montrose. Nobody's my friend. So,
1: Megan and Shirley were booked. Megan isn't wearing any makeup in her mugshot. Her hair is flat and disheveled. In Shirley's mugshot, she looks tired and a bit blank. Shirley's husband Alan, who also worked at Sunset Mesa, he wasn't arrested and wasn't charged. This was March 2020, the very beginning of the COVID pandemic. And in custody, it looked like Megan might have the virus. She was coughing and had a fever. But many of Montrose
5: weren't exactly concerned about Megan's health. They were like, who cares? She's going to be in a room all by herself, throw her butt in there and lock the door, you know, shove her food under the door once in a while. We don't care. They didn't want her on the street. Regardless of
1: Megan's COVID status, neither she nor her mother spent a single night in jail. They bonded out. And the terms of their release were pretty light. They had to keep in touch with the marshals every week and not have any contact with the victims. While Shirley and Megan were allowed to be at home, the government was putting together the case against them, and it looked pretty damning. Prosecutors were calling Megan and Shirley's scheme a classic bait-and-switch swindle. They had Megan's invoices, shipping information, lab reports, emails. They had proof that victims were not given the ashes of their loved ones. They had interviews with the companies she sold to and interviews with former employees. And they had many, many interviews with victims who described being scammed. I spoke with more than a dozen of them, people who had put their loved ones in Megan and Shirley's care. And when we talked, many of them struggled to express just what they were going through.
3: This isn't grief. Yes, I'm missing my husband and there's grief. Don't get me wrong. But this anger, the best way I can describe it is they murdered my husband after he was dead. Like those are the only words I have to wrap around how I feel.
4: The trauma of it is not just saying goodbye to someone and missing them, their presence or, you know, having those memories. Now it's putting the trauma of what she did to him on top of it all. And for me it was, how how do I deal with not being able to carry out his last wishes? She stripped all that. The best way I can explain it is like a tsunami, a wave that comes over me and just kind of pushes you into the ground. And I have to keep struggling to get up and out of it.
1: Megan and Shirley had been business partners. They'd been arrested together, but they weren't going to be tried together. Early on, their cases were separated, and they were being represented by different lawyers. The main question now was whether they were equally culpable, or the judge would deem one of them the ringleader. Things weren't looking rosy for Megan. Remember, Shirley had given those FBI interviews, blaming her daughter, saying Megan was the brains of the operation. But then again, Shirley had also incriminated herself just through the details she shared. And the state was going to argue that Shirley had played an integral role. She was the one doing the actual dismembering, after all. And she'd misled families, too. Megan was now 43, and Shirley was 66. They were facing multiple counts of mail fraud, which could send them to prison for 20 years. But there was something else they were also hit with additional counts for shipping diseased body parts. And if that sounds familiar, it's because you've heard it before. Remember Philip Guyette, the body broker from California, who told his story in episode four?
0: Like I went from being a respected family man to uh, like Igor, a uh... Body robber, grave digger.
4: pleaded guilty to three counts of felony mail fraud
1: for sending the tissue to three states in 2005. So far, federal... Like Megan and Shirley, Philip Gayet was also nabbed on similar charges. And you might recall, mailing body parts, that's not necessarily illegal on its own. What was illegal in Philip's case was the way he had mislabeled those packages saying the body parts were healthy when really they were diseased. He falsified medical histories and blood samples. This means recipients could have received diseased tissue. It turned out Megan and Shirley had done the same thing. They'd forged lab paperwork, lying to their buyers, saying the bodies were healthy when in reality, some were infected with HIV and hepatitis. The prosecutor said as a result, medical students who handled the body parts were unknowingly exposed to dangerous pathogens. Even the courier who transported the box could have been at risk. It was another pack of lies, another tentacle to their scam. The case seemed pretty stacked against Megan and Shirley. But Megan's attorneys were about to make a shocking claim about their client, one that, her lawyer said, explained everything.
5: You know, it's a small town, so everybody, you know, it's the phone chain. Hey, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? That's next time on Body Brokers. This is like the grand finale I've been waiting for. Since
4: 2016, I've been trying to get to this point.
0: You should not be making money off of something that someone voluntarily donates out of the goodness of their heart. There are people selling body parts, as we speak, right?
4: Almost from the beginning of recorded history, if you desecrate the dead, that was a big, 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 big no, no, no. Am I allowed to hate her? I am, and I do, and I always will.
1: Cover Up, Body Brokers, is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. The show was reported and hosted by me, Ashley Fonts. Elizabeth Van Brocklin is the senior producer. The associate producers are Rachel Young and Callie Hitchcock. Field producers were Megan Burney and Monique Labour. The editors were Emily Martinez, Matt Scher, and Anthony Puccillo. Sound design mix and original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Fact-checking by Sarah Ivry. Recording by Jimmy Guthrie at Arcade 160 Studios in Atlanta. A special thanks to our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, Sabina Mara, and Destiny Dingle. Campside Media's executive producers are Josh Deed, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed cover-up Body Brokers, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts.